Welcome to Psychiatry Podcast Series, brought to you today by Daniel Moore. I'm an advanced trainee here at the Oxford Deanery. I'm here speaking to Rob Bale today, who's Clinical Director and a Psychiatrist here at Oxford Health NHS Foundation Trust. Thank you for joining me today, Rob. No problem. Thanks for asking me. Uh, You've been Clinical Director at Oxford Health for many years now. And um, it'd be really interesting just to learn um, maybe from some of your experiences that you've had over the years. So but maybe we could start by looking at um, what, what are your responsibilities as clinical director? Um, well, I've worked as a medical manager in different ways uh, since about 2001. So in fact, before I even started at Oxford Health. And the rationale for that is I have an opinion about services and about how we delivered services and how we could improve them. Um, and there was no point in me ranting at managers if I wasn't going to come up with some way of helping change things. Um, so actually it's that old concept that managers are only there to help clinicians deliver services and we can't be arguing uh, all of the time. And so when I was in South London I had a, a, a management role in the borough that I worked in and then when I came to Oxford I took on a role as Associate Clinical Director from memory and then in, since 2005 in various different guises I've been Clinical Director of uh, Adult Med- health services and as of April of this year uh, that's been a new configuration of services so it's the adult directorate which covers all adult mental health services uh, across Oxfordshire and Buckinghamshire that it also includes forensic services uh, harm minimization services uh, a GP practice uh, covering the homeless and the uh, mental, homeless and mentally ill in Oxfordshire so you've got quite a whole right. range of yeah, so you've got quite a wide range there, Rob. And um, I mean, it'd be interesting to hear what your your actual responsibilities are and all that, because you, you know you're you're a practicing psychiatrist, but you're also directing services. I mean, does that mean you're making on the ground decisions about um, how? Uh, psychiatrists should run their clinics or are you okay, what, so what kind of decisions? There's a whole range of responsibilities and to be fair I am not nearly as much of a clinician as I used to be because you, 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 I can't fit all of that in effectively um, so I do one to two days a week um, of clinical work and the rest of my time is about um, leading the service and there's different ways of thinking about it so in some of the roles that I've had as a clinical director or some of the versions I've had and my prime focus has been about medical management and actually that's an operational management role uh, which is um, okay it's got to be done got to be done by somebody but it's probably not what I'm there to do principally now what I'm there much more to do is to uh, work with my director of service and uh, work with the heads of service to ensure that we're delivering a high quality service and that we're looking towards the future um, and being able to have a sustainable and ongoing deliverable service mm. um, so there's a whole quality agenda as well as a strategic agenda. Mm. Clearly there's some day-to-day operational management um, that has to be done as well. Um, so no, I don't think that I spend my time uh, telling consultants how to run their clinics. Mm. Um, what I'm trying to uh, get the service to work towards is um, having very clear clinical leadership within teams. Uh, and for me, that has to be a consultant psychiatrist providing the leadership role. That's what doctors are good at doing. Um, they're good at taking responsibility, managing risk, uh, and holding an overview of systems and services. Um, and our role is to be able to present what we do to the outside world, um, to be able to manage some of the internal world um, difficulties, um, whether that be staffing, whether that be referral rates, etc. Um, part of the role of this sort of senior management team um, that we have here is to, if you like, unblock the pathways 
uh, for patient care. So we're there to try and help find solutions and to empower people um, to do things. So rather than people just saying, well, it's the NHS and we can't do anything, we're trying to get people to um, be creative, um, be innovative, um, and to help transform services. Okay, so what people need to recognise is the NHS is not sustainable in its current format. It's not affordable, so we need to find ways of uh, transforming services so that um, we can continue to deliver high-quality care, but in a way that's affordable and maintains some quality. Um, so we can't carry on doing things the way we've always done them just because we've always done them that way. Um, so it's a use of technology, it's use of self-management, um, it's partnership working with the third sector, and it's doing all of those things to deliver sustainable uh, ongoing healthcare. Thank you, Rob. It's really good to hear those insights. Have you got a, an example of a, an exciting um, development at the moment that you could briefly tell us about? Well, the main uh, development we've got in our adult mental health services, so looking at our general adult services um, across the two counties, is we've moved them from being 9 to 5 Monday to Friday services and everything outside of those times being a crisis to saying actually we've got routine services working seven days a week, extended hours. So uh, we've got much more accessible services with um, staff who know the individual clients um, and have uh, some ongoing contact with them rather than constantly moving people from one service to another. Um, so we're trying to break down the sort of barriers of repeated assessments and silo thinking. So I think that's quite an exciting development for, for this service. Um, it's quite a challenge because it really is getting people to change how they think and how they work. Um, there are other um, smaller projects which are quite exciting and interesting. There's a project in Oxfordshire, in Oxford City in particular, called Street Triage. Um, and that's actually uh, funded through a Department of Health uh, initiative. Uh, the money was actually obtained uh, by application from Thames Valley Police. Um, but that's about trying to ensure that people uh, found by the police who they feel in a, uh, some state of, uh, of mental health need and get rapid access to that rather than being detained um, so much in Section 136s. Um, so we now provide a nurse, um, I think it's five nights a week from 6pm to 2am, um, to support the police and avoid unnecessary detention under Section 136s. And that's all quite exciting mm. uh, and interesting. Um, and uh, anecdotes so far shows that it's making a difference, it's been very positively received. And probably the biggest thing it does there is break down the barriers and the stigma associated with mental illness. You've got a mental health professional working alongside the police, able to explain things, uh, able to come up with sensible thoughts and plans for people, um, rather than uh, the police assuming that actually some um, very special, different way of intervening is needed. So that's a, just a small project that's going. Thank you for that, Rob. I'd like to ask you about uh, the current issue that's been in the media about mental health and the lack of mental health beds across the country and the fact that many patients are having to travel hundreds of miles sometimes to find a, a bed for them in the middle of the night. It seems that that's a real issue uh, in mental health at the moment and with the current lack of funds, is, is there an answer here? Is there, is there a way forward? I think there are several things happening here. Yes, beds over the last three, four decades have been significantly reduced. That's because of the improved quality of the community care that we're able to um, deliver. Um, and that's been very positive. Uh, the question is, have we cut the beds too far? I'm not sure I know the answer to that instantly. Um, but when you just look at some of the um, things that are going on at the moment, so 
Um, we currently have Norman Lamb, who is um, very motivated around mental health and raises it on the agenda a lot. Uh, we have a very energetic National Clinical Director for Mental Health, um, who equally raises the issue of mental health in every forum possible, and that's really about generating parity of esteem. Mental health services um, have been the Cinderella of healthcare services for a long time. Uh, there continues to be disparity in terms of how we're funded, how we're treated, uh, and um, that links into the stigma really associated with mental illness. Um, so uh, one of the issues at the moment is people are keeping the agenda um, very um, explicit, very open. Uh, it's kept in the press a lot. Um, actually, I think there have been people who've been moved around um, across the country to EC bed, ECR beds, um, out of county beds, for quite a long period of time. Um, it's just become much more prominent recently um, in, in terms of the press picking it up. So I'm not convinced that it's necessarily that different to how it's been for some time. Um, one of the other problems, of course, is it's not. Sometimes it's about the decision uh, of who to admit to hospital. If you look at the most frequent uh, lengths of stay onto the acute wards here, it's about three days. And that would suggest that you might not be making the right decision because what does three days on an inpatient unit deliver for somebody? Um, so are we looking at crisis beds in some form? Um, and there are some areas which have developed crisis houses. They're not a health provision. They're about supporting people who are in psychosocial crisis. A range of third sector organisations provide those. Uh, so do we have those um, in place effectively? Are we delivering home treatment effectively? the piece and then at the other end of the spectrum actually um, have we got people who are hidden delayed transfers of care on our acute wards now if you were to go to an acute hospital um, with all the physical health problems and there are very clear penalties around delayed transfers of care they need to move people on for social care etc uh, social care being fined and a range of other things that can happen that doesn't apply in mental health um, so we gain come bottom of the pile. Um, different areas will have different housing pressures. Um, so Oxfordshire, for instance, has uh, very little uh, in terms of temporary accommodation. Um, so the ability to um, rapidly support people into accommodation is not, not particularly easy at all. Um, Buckinghamshire um, is a different picture. Um, so each county is a bit different. and The resources for people who, who need accommodation are not necessarily there. So if we got the people who are in hospital but don't really need to be there any longer, able to move on and, and recover effectively, uh, then we may create more capacity across the system. And there's a question about whether some of those people need hospital care or whether they need support in the community long term, whether we've got those accommodations correct. Thank you, Rob. It's really helpful to have your clarity on these, these complex issues, and I can see that the, the issues are wide-ranging and also um, particular to local circumstances. Um, I'd just like to maybe finish with um, uh, uh, another challenging question about where do you see the future of mental health services going in light of all these constraints and these, these complex challenges? Um, well, evidently mental health services will continue to be delivered because a large percentage of the population will continue to experience mental health problems at some point in their life. So we will need to continue to deliver services. Uh, we need to make the best use of the resource. We need to ensure that um, if you start right at the beginning of the, the, the journey, the story, 
Uh, we need to make sure that people have some emotional resilience, they're able to manage their own selves and their own lives. That starts off with public health, with schools and education. Uh, that uh, links into uh, families and communities, how they work and support each other. So it's that whole self-help and uh, self-management that we need to get much better. Uh, and then there's the clarity about straightforward uh, interventions for people with more mild to moderate uh, needs that don't need to be delivered through secondary services that can be supported through primary care. And that's not me trying to move things on to primary care because they're already overburdened. It's about having a clarity about what can be offered um, and making sure that the support to deliver that's within primary care. And then there's a focus within secondary services about uh, delivering what works. Uh, rather than a whole range of variable services. Um, so actually, you know, we've got NICE, we've got evidence bases, and, you know, one's beyond NICE. Uh, we need to use those and make sure we, we're delivering evidence-based interventions. So if we get the right assessment at the right time, um, and therefore the right treatment at the right time, uh, rather than the historical constantly moving on to someone else for a new assessment, then we're going to use our resources more effectively and hopefully uh, deliver a better quality of care. And the other side of all that's the whole concept of early intervention. That's very prominent around psychosis. There's a lot of work around that, both from the um, looking at the whole um, pathology um, of, of psychosis early on, through to all the psychosocial uh, interventions that could be offered early on, um, and that could be widened beyond psychosis. And there are thoughts around that already. So lots that can be done. Thank you, Rob. It's encouraging to hear all those possible options, despite the constraints that we face. So thank you for joining us today, Rob. It's been really interesting hearing your thoughts.